This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. Welcome to the Financial Standard Podcast. I'm your host and Managing Editor of FS Sustainability, Rachel Allen-Bacchus. You've probably seen the headlines full of dire warnings of no presence under the Christmas tree because of supply chain disruptions. But supply chain disruptions as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic bring significant financial risk to companies, particularly relating to ESG issues. We talk with Sam McPherson, Head of Treasury at Early Trade, to see how ESG issues and supply chains impact on company performance and working capital considerations. Early Trade is a digital platform that helps companies manage liquidity through B2B payments. Hello, Sam, and welcome to the Financial Standard Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you today. Thanks, Rachel. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, look, I'm, I've been really looking forward to this conversation um, because uh, supply chain and supply chain management is actually one of the most frequently mentioned issues when it comes to all facets of the EVS and G. Um, and so I'd, I'd really like to start off with a scene opener. Um, how does early trade assess ESG issues broadly, um, particularly with the risk to supply chain and, and to efficient working capital? Yeah, very good. Uh, very good opening question. I, I think you know the 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 context for this is early trade owns and operates the largest working capital marketplace uh, in australia and with that we have a network of 70 something thousand businesses who actually come into the platform and they leverage uh, that network effect to be able to access the working capital they need now what we find is you know with the businesses that we work with they're actually able to get a much better uh, or more granular visibility into who those suppliers are understand their working capital needs uh, more effectively. And then they can essentially collaborate to say, well, you know, are we working in an ESG friendly way at this point in time? Do our payment terms um, sort of replicate what we would see as ESG beneficial? You know, are they providing the, uh, the social benefits to the communities that some of the smaller and medium-sized businesses operate within? Uh, are they incentivizing suppliers to do better from an emissions perspective uh, and those sorts of things? And, we find, you know, that access to working capital has certainly been a big hurdle um, for, for some of the smaller players uh, out there in the in the business ecosystem. Um, so using that is, is a very uh, effective tool, ultimately, to drive some of those ESG outcomes as well within supply chains. Mm. It's really interesting. Um, we w- ran a white paper on the website earlier this year, um, looking at um, particularly some of the working capital issues as a governance issue, um, Stuart Investors. Uh, measures uh, things like payment uh, payment turnaround and issues like that as being uh, a proxy for quality of governance at management level. So I would assume you'd have quite a bit of, of look through on governance related issues to working capital management. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, the the beauty of the network is that you can see, you know, at an industry level basis, at an economy level basis, what do those payment terms look like, mm-hmm. uh, and what does the demand um, that's that what what demand is that then generating from um, from other businesses in the in the broader economy uh, for that working capital. Um, we traditionally find, you know, again, if we look at SMEs in particular, very much underserviced by, you know, your traditional bank or financing solutions. Um, hence why early trade was essentially created to try and resolve, you know, that working capital shortfall that, that they do uh, they do often experience, unfortunately. So Obviously, the last 18 months have, have provided a, a lot of really important lessons across almost all sectors of our economy, um, but particularly um, 
what lessons have you observed or what, what observations do you have um, from the supply chain perspective with specific reference to, to ESG related issues? Yeah, very good question. I'll, I'll answer that in a, in a couple of at a couple of different layers. So I think, firstly, it's important to understand, you know, what's happened over the last 18 months. So if we talk in the midst of the pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic, you know, what are the sort of issues that supply chains have been experiencing? Uh, and then what have we seen and how has that driven some of that ESG-related behaviour as well? So if we look, you know, put a bit of context around it, there's sort of three key reasons over the last 18 months that I see um, that have driven some of those supply chain pressures. Firstly, Probably the most obvious, you know, the, the lockdowns that we've all unfortunately experienced uh, over that period of time, they've reduced, you know, production capacity. So factories have either had to shut down completely, they've had to limit their workforce or uh, limit their outputs significantly. Um, secondly, we've also seen, you know, quite a, um, a quantum shift uh, in, in consumption patterns. So you've had, you know, previously uh, heavy sort of service based spending. That shifted, you know, obviously as pubs, restaurants, bars, entertainment facilities were, were shut down, that spending shifted more into a goods, the goods sort of sector. And with that, it's kind of flow on effect into, you know, we've all seen what's probably, you know, probably most of the, the listeners have seen or witnessed firsthand what's happened in the, um, the shipping container sort of market. You know, costs are up sort of three or fourfold over the last year. Uh, that's then had, you know, obviously cost implications, bringing the inflation story to the fore as well. But it's also caused, you know, essentially this, this mislocation of shipping containers as well, where you've got, you know, a lot of goods through the um, through the e-commerce channel that are perhaps coming from regions they weren't previously coming from to the same extent. Uh, and all your shipping containers are, are somewhere else um, and, and they haven't yet been able to catch up to that shift in demand. Um, so that's the first piece, you know, that's the first piece as to what those um, or where those supply chain pressures come. And what we see through the platform is we see, you know, the usage of the platform as quite a good indicator um, for the stress that's being experienced in those supply chains. So I guess to give you some insight, you know, we've had, particularly in the SME space, again, we've had about a fourfold increase uh, in demand for early payment um, of you know, invoices that are approved. And you can kind of say, well, how does that link into that? And the way we, or the way I certainly look at that and the anecdotal feedback we get from those, um, those businesses is they're, they're trying to get firstly a level of certainty. They want to know what their cash flows are going to be, you know, a level of predictability in their business that they don't normally have. But also they're trying to take whatever steps they can to essentially provide their business with some solutions to these supply chain constraints. So typically, you know, large, large businesses with big balance sheets, they can increase their order size, bring a lot more inventory, you know, into the, into their warehouse facility, for example. Now the smaller and medium sized businesses, they don't have that luxury. Generally they don't have a warehouse or they certainly don't have you know, additional warehouse space that they can use, but also they just don't have the working capital available to actually increase their order size. It's very much on a sort of just in time delivery mechanism. So they're using the platform to, you know, bring in some cash, additional cash flow where they can, and then put that out into their own supply chain to, to guarantee some um, some certainty of supply. Now, I think the big thing that we're seeing, you know, we've, we've got a, a monthly or sort of quarterly scorecard that we produce uh, based on the supply chain visibility we have across the network. And as you'd imagine, it's flashing red at the moment. You know, it, it's indicating a high, high level of risk. Um, and I think that's 
that actually flows nicely through to that ESG side of things as well. So the financials are one piece, but I guess if we look at, you know, the supply chains that are being affected, you then start to bring in things like, well, you know, how well do you understand those suppliers that you as a, a large business are actually working with? And, you know, do you have good visibility of their actual operations? Um, do they meet your, the ESG requirements that you, um, that you think they do, particularly from, you know, modern slavery has certainly been a big one. Uh, and then when, when we, when we overlay, you know, the supply chain pressures, um, how are they as a business set up to actually deal with those? You know, are they in a position where they need to bring in uh, maybe questionable practices that perhaps don't meet their, their regular ESG standards? So I think it's kind of highlighting, you know, now more than ever is, is, is the time that businesses need to be, you know, getting that greater level of visibility into their suppliers. They need to be collaborating more as well. And uh, what we're seeing is, you know, the technology exists, you know, we're, we're certainly one player in that, in that area that, but there's certainly others um, that tap into different areas of that ESG sort of spectrum. But, but now is really the time, you know, look at what technology is available, collaborate with those suppliers um, and actually work with them to deliver, you know, the ESG benefits that broadly speaking, most companies are trying to, to, to achieve. It's so interesting that you'd go into that that aspect of it, Sam, because, you know, in talking with investors, with ta in talking with companies, it, it, as you say, it's really quite clear that um, some of the operational pressures of just-in-time uh, supply chains can exacerbate um, risks like modern slavery, uh, other, other human rights-related uh, potential abuses around safe working practices and things like that. Um, from your perspective, do you see these red light high-risk indicators as leading indicators of potential issues or lagging indicators? Like what comes first, the pressure on the, the working capital or the, the problems in the supply chain around people and workers? Yeah, it's probably not an answer that you really want, but it's, it's a combination of both, in all honesty. Um, we live for the nuance. <laughs> I, 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 we, I mean, we kind of look at it, you know, when we look at sort of economic indicators, we certainly see... Um, sort of platform usage and platform registrations in particular as a, as a good proxy or leading indicator for what's happening in the business confidence space. So to give you that insight, you know, we see big spikes um, ultimately in months or quarters prior to a dip in business confidence. So this is, you know, businesses that are trying to get, as I say, you know, much, as much certainty as they can. Um, so through the platform, they can, you know, they can come in and, and view what sort of cash flows have they got approved at this point in time. They can then make a decision as to whether their business needs dictate that they actually want to bring that cash in earlier uh, than they would normally be paid. Um, but also, you know, when we talk purely from a demand perspective, uh, that kind of coincides with, you know, those supply chain pressures. So ultimately, you know, I guess if we think if we were if we were business owners or business operators, then to the extent in a given month you know, we've got a huge supply chain issue and we want to try and mitigate that, then we do see that coinciding with a, with a pickup in demand for um, those early payments as well. So it's probably, uh, you know, simultaneous and leading uh, the two sort of ways we look at that data out of the platform. In terms of the clients that come to you, Sam, um, how far down the road are our clients talking about some of these, recognizing some of these leading and lagging indicators um, and understanding the connection between ESG risk and the supply chain with this working capital aspect? 
Is there a self-selection bias in your clientele? Yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting time for that question. I would say the last, you know, the pandemic period has really uh, kick-started a lot of those conversations. You know, it's given businesses, you know, well, well-intentioned businesses, it's probably given them a prod um, to act a bit more quickly than they previously were. Uh, we do find there's right across the spectrum. You know, we've got we've got customers within our um, within our user network who, you know, they're very clued in. Uh, to the ESG side of things, I think they've appreciated. I think if you look across every stakeholder now, this ESG lens is being applied um, more and more rigor- rigorously. So obviously, investors, you know, the ESG investment pool has obviously grown exponentially. But also for for a lot of our customers, you know, they're looking and saying, well, we want to attract the best talent, and you know, our employees want to work for companies that aren't just returning, you know, good value on the PL. They want to work for companies who are doing good things as well in the in the broader, particularly the social landscape, I would say, but also environmental. Um, and then, you know, con- consumers as well. A lot of that that consumption pat those consumption patterns now are driven by, uh, you know, the I think the what are we now the Gen Y and Gen Z who are really inclined to be saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm happy to pay a premium or whatever it takes to to purchase from companies that or do business with companies that are actually again, doing good things or doing right, as they see it in their mind. Um, but we've certainly, yeah, to come back to that question, you know, we've certainly seen the last 18 months as a big um, accelerator of those, of those sort of conversations. I love that you seem to have coined the phrase, the great supply chain disruption, adding to our, our list of the greats uh, that the pandemic have given us. Um, can you explain sort of from your perspective, what do you think um, are sort of short-term or cyclical disruptions to supply chain? And, and what might be longer-term secular changes to the way supply chains are managed and how this might impact on businesses? Yeah, I think the most, I mean, the, the most obvious are the ones that are prevalent right now. So, you know, those, those, um, those shipping container issues and some of those supply chain pressures, there's no doubt in my mind, they'll be a short to medium-term sort of proposition. I think it's interesting though, if you actually look through um, the broader sort of supply chain uh, or the global supply chain network, there's probably a few secular issues as well that are kind of being compounded by these shorter term issues. Um, I think, you know, if we look around the globe, there's obviously US-China trade conflict is ongoing. That's causing a fair, fair amount of uncertainty within the global supply chain. We've obviously also got a big push for digitization uh, in supply chains as well. And I think there's, uh, we're probably still working through, you know, the, the crux of that at this point in time. Um, but also, you know, even, I call them simple things, but, you know, a complete lack of foreplanning in, um, in post-Brexit UK, for example, you know, obviously the, the most obvious one over there has been the, um, the shortage of, of truck drivers, which has then flown through to essentially a petrol crisis. So, you know, these sorts of things, are actually being compounded by those shorter those shorter term issues as well. I think if we step back and look, though, the reality is the ESG mandate has broadened, and as I'm, I think I mentioned before, you know, companies are realizing that I think the most impact or the most impactful area they can have from an ESG perspective is in fact their supply chain. You know, when I look at the supply chain, it's not you know, it's not new information, but it's essentially a network of of, of multiple supply chains. So, you know, by, by understanding, firstly, how they interact with their own suppliers, um, you know, how do they 
what sort of payment terms do they have them on? What sort of pressures are they putting on them from a from an output perspective? How well do they understand um, the scope of their operations as well? That's the sort of first order effect. When you look through, uh, you can then say, well, what are those suppliers actually doing with their suppliers? So, you know, are they are they encouraging their suppliers to do better from an ESG perspective? Um, so you end up, you know, as opposed to being a one-for-one -one relationship, it really becomes a, a one-to-many. Uh, and you get this exponential growth through that supply chain. Um, so I think now we're, we're in this sort of, um, thankfully, you know, we're in the, this era where that's occurring. And what we're finding certainly through our customers is they, you, you know, they're realizing that the technology does exist. So whether it's, you know, utilizing the early trade network to, you know, improve your, improve your, um, your governance, as you mentioned on, on the payment side of things, or whether it's actually, you know, taking that one step further and saying, well, we can actually incentivize these suppliers to, to you know, do better. And we've got a, a, I guess, a good example, you know, if you look at the scope three emissions side of things, where, you know, companies are looking and saying, well, okay, I have good understanding, good visibility of my own emissions. I now want to do more and say, well, what are my suppliers doing from an emissions perspective? Firstly, how do I measure that? And then secondly, can I start to encourage them and incentivize them to, you know, come along on the ESG journey with them? And that's where you really start to get these, you know, second, third, fourth um, order benefits from an ESG perspective, I think. Is that actually happening, Sam? Are, are some of your customers linking, um, you know, progress on, say, you know, labor conditions or emissions management to payment terms in terms of early payment or sort of facilitated payments? Is that, has, it, has it hit working capital? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think um, the reality is, you know, working capital is an, an easy sort of discussion. You know, every business understands their working capital needs. They understand their working capital options as well generally fairly well um, so so for those customers it's an opportunity to say you know to the extent we have um, what are some good examples you know the the emissions and modern slavery are certainly the, the most prevalent um, but you know things like gender diversity as well are, are coming to the fore to be able to say well you know I want to work with suppliers that are encouraging you know an improvement in the diversity settings in their business um, and I think sort of working capital is the most tangible way that they can actually incent you know, i think gone are the days where you can take a a stick approach and say well if you don't do you know if you don't do this um you know i'm not going to do business with you i think the reality of these supply chain pressures is it's actually putting more pressure mm. uh, for want of a better word on on those supply relationships um, so i think it's more about taking that collaborative stance using that tech where you can to, to actually measure what those suppliers are doing and then say well you know, can, how can I incentivize? And, and you know, working capital is one option. I guess you know others can be purely increasing your volume, you know, increasing the volumes of supply that you that you put through with um, you know ESG friendly suppliers, for example. Um, mm. Yeah, we're we're certainly finding that's um, that's becoming a, a very strong conversation. That's so fascinating because it's also, you know, in terms of supply chain management, it's also an active discussion that, you know, being as how Australian companies and particularly small and medium sized enterprises um, are not necessarily makers of relationships. They can almost be takers of relationships with their supply chain because of their relative size um, on a global level. And so, um, you know, investors often say that one of the things they look for is durable, steady relationships. Um, that that have two-way dialogue with, uh, down the supply chain. So it's interesting to see that conversation extend uh, into the working capital space. 
yeah, I think that's never been more important to be honest. You know, that as I say, that collaboration piece is very much front of mind. Um, firstly, in what we, in terms of what we do, but also you know the customers that we work with, they're generally looking for uh, you know a, better, a way to improve those um, those supplier relationships. Because again, I, I guess if we step back and look from a from a um, a producer perspective, you don't want to be in a position where you know, issues you've got in your supply chain are actually impacting your end product as well. So they're trying to ensure you know, security of supply, security of good supply as well from good suppliers. Um, so I think that's sort of the work in progress that they're going through now is to say, you know, who are those good suppliers uh, and how can we, you know, as I say, you know, bring them uh, bring them up to speed on, on what they're trying to achieve ESG-wise. Mm. Excellent. And then just, just a final question, Sam. Um, what do you think that this says long-term about this overall relationship on the trade-off between um, resilient and robust supply chains versus, you know, cost-efficient uh, supply chains? And what role does technology have to play in, in, in managing that balance? Yeah, this is one that, um, this is one that gets asked quite a lot. You know, I think it's fair to say ESG across the board is, you know, it's, it's on the tip of, of, of the tongue of every sort of executive or, or board member uh, across the corporate landscape. Um, so they're very much clued into, you know, the ESG side of things now from that from their business perspective. Um, but at this point in time, obviously, they're also clued into what's happening, you know, cost-wise, what's happening to inflation, what are those supply chain pressures doing? So I think that they're, they're kind of working through now and saying, well, you know, what does it actually mean for my business over the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months? Uh, how am I going to resolve that? And for a lot of them, you know, they're, they're actually viewing the trade-off now and saying, well, there's going to be a period of time where I'm ultimately going to have to accept I either, uh, you know, take a take a hit to my profit margin and ultimately, you know, pay a, pay a bit more to, to ensure that um, that security of quality supply, you know, from, from good um, suppliers and a lot of the time that conversation becomes about reshoring so you know, this concept of reshoring where you're bringing back uh, you know your your supply chains you know, certainly here in you know in Australia and New Zealand um, you bring them back on shore gives you some certainty of supply but the trade-off is that you do end up paying more so I think some of the um, some of the customer conversations we have are around that sort of sort of area um, and that's where we we look to say well what what can we do from a technology perspective and you know we mentioned the working capital piece, but if you can come to a, a position where you know you, you're guaranteeing that supply and you're providing you know working capital solution to, to those suppliers, you can actually find that you can manage um, a lot of those cost increases from, from that perspective because you do. You know, the unfortunate reality is there is a I look at it as almost a, an inequitable allocation of capital throughout the economy. You know where you've got this huge divergence in the borrowing costs of of large and small businesses. Um, and it's ultimately creating, you know, a position in the middle where these buyers and suppliers can come together, collaborate to, to find a better outcome. Uh, and that's what, to be honest, the early trade platform is, uh, is actually providing from a technology perspective. Excellent. Well, look, I think on that note of collaboration, I think we'll end it there. Sam, thank you so much for your time today. Great, thanks, Rachel. Pleasure. You've been listening to Sam McPherson. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Please remember you can subscribe to Financial Standard wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. 
For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 